Will you be my dance partner? Now, I know you've probably never heard me ask that before. As a matter of fact, my wife doesn't hear that very often. But I recently was told that if I would stop being so aggressive, I'd have a better experience. Now, how many times would that fit you in a given week? Hey, we're going to have fun unpacking that and more right here on the 48 Days Podcast. Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, hey, if you're new, thanks for being here. We are going to take care of business. Every week, we unpack real-life questions about work, the challenges of business, the opportunities that are all around us that may look different than they did five years ago or one year ago. That's what we do here. Some of the questions we'll be looking at today include, Dan, isn't it ironic that a library will lend your book out for only 21 days? Yeah, I'm going to talk about that a little bit. Isn't constant striving for more just a recipe for unhappiness? Interesting perspective as we're rolling into a new year where we usually set goals for what we want to accomplish that we haven't accomplished before. Somebody says, Dan, I'm having trouble answering the question. What would you do for a living right now if you had a billion dollars? Here's another one. Dan, you are making me hate my job. Ouch. Sorry about that. Dan, I'm a podiatrist, and I'm feeling stuck with only one source of income. And then one more, uh, will bankruptcy keep me from owning my own business? Now, we're going to weave in a whole lot of interesting tidbits, things that are happening in the workplace today, as well as answering these questions that hopefully will help you, the listeners who ask those, get unstuck as as well as other people who are listening along the way. Quotation comes from L.B. Kalman, who said, the eagle that soars at high altitude does not worry about how it will cross the river. Boom. Right there. Resource today is our Goals Masterclass. Now, this is coming up on November 14th. Whenever you're listening to this, incidentally, when this comes out, it'll be 10 days until November 14th. That being an important day in my calendar, because that's 48 days before the start of the new year, that's when I encourage you to have your goals set by November 14th. That way you get a head start. You aren't caught not knowing what you're going to do January 1st, and all of a sudden it's February and you're still trying to figure it out. Now you've only got 11 months left. Well, no, don't do that. Have your goals set by November 14th. We've got our free goal worksheet. You can go to 48days.com slash goals and get that. But I want to invite you to an open house that we're having on November 14th. That's a Monday. We're going to be doing it a couple times during the day. Just go to 48days.com slash open house to get the details. We're going to be looking at, so you've set your goals for 2023. Now what? You know, sometimes people get trapped into just creating a list, a to-do list. Okay, I want to do this. I want to lose 10 pounds. I want to run a marathon. I want Just a to-do list. Well, if it's just an external to-do list, it can kind of seem like it's outside of you. And that's why all of a sudden it's January 30th and you haven't done it and don't want to do it. 
Well, don't make your goals that. We're going to be talking. We're going to lean into that. How do you set goals that really move you forward without just feeling like it's somebody with a big stick behind you? That's what we're going to be talking about. Again, 48days.com slash open house to check it out. Now, one of the things that's happening out there, there's a federal government program now that will allow 18 to 20-year-olds to drive commercial vehicles in-state. Now, they can't do it interstate, but in-state, think about all the opportunities there. But we have a whole lot of truck drivers who are aging out. I mean, they're, I mean, they're anticipating that they're going to be hiring hundreds of thousands of truckers, and there's not enough people to fill those spots. How would you like to have an 18-year-old and that big rig, you know, 12 inches away from you going down a freeway at 70 miles an hour. Well, that's happening, and I don't know if that's all bad. 18-year-olds have fewer family obligations. They have more flexibility where they can be gone long hours. They're typically very healthy. They can tolerate being behind the wheel for a long time, tolerate loading and unloading as, as they're often expected to do. Just be watching for that. And the other thing is, you know, kids are looking at, check and go to college for four years, accumulate $120,000 in student loan debt, and hope that I can get a $40,000 a year job somewhere, or I can start driving truck, where in six months I can be making $100,000 a year. And that's happening a lot. Hey, just one of those things. Keep your eye out for that. It is coming. Hey, speaking of driving... I had a driving experience this last week, mentioned it last week, I think, that I was going to be going to Atlanta to do the Porsche driving experience. They have a 1.6-mile track right next to their headquarters there in Atlanta. It was amazing. I highly recommend it. Just check it out, the Porsche driving experience. You'll see all the details there. But I was doing that, but here's where my opening came from. So I'm driving this. I got a young instructor in the passenger seat. Now, he has no controls, but he's instructing me as we go through all the different modules. I mean, we hit skid pads where it purposely flipped your car around and you had to try to recover from a skid. We had a big water section where we purposely put it into a spin and then try to hold the spin and keep it going by turning your wheels the opposite way of the way you're turning. Some really just had incredible acceleration experience where it came to a dead stop. And he says, okay, cram the brake all the way to the floor, hold it as hard as you can. Now, floor it. Accelerate all the way to the floor. you got to be kidding me. Nope, go ahead. What that does, it lights up the engine. The turbos are screaming back there. So there's not that one-second delay when you accelerate. It's already flat-out accelerated maximum. Then Three, two, one, release the brake. He says, you better make sure you have your head against the headrest or it'll snap your neck. So anyway, it was a rush. It was an awesome experience. But going into the curves, you know, I had my hands at nine and three, as he taught me to do. And he says, but you got a real firm grip there. You got a grip on the steering wheel and your arms are tense. It's going to keep you from turning quickly when you need to. And he says, Dan, if you're less aggressive, this car will dance with you. I thought, oh my gosh, boy, that's a line. If you're less aggressive, this car will dance with you. And you can fill in the blank if we take out car. Think about that. If you're less aggressive, your child will dance with you. If you're less aggressive, your husband, your wife will dance with you. If you're less aggressive, your boss will dance with you. If you're less aggressive, your dog will 
will dance with you. You could fill in a whole lot of things there, but it really struck me as one of those phrases I need to remember. Are there times when just because of the way I come into a situation, I'm preventing that from being a really great interaction, a great negotiation, a great business venture with somebody. If you're less aggressive, this car will dance with you. Well, that's my takeaway, along with a great experience, a lot of memories in doing that with my friend Steve Sponseller, who flew in from Spokane, Washington, to join me. And that experience set it up for me, and I'm grateful for him for having done that. Now, Jonathan says, Dan, isn't it ironic that a library will lend your book out for only 21 days? Certainly referring to my book, 48 Days to the Work You Love. Yeah, it is. It is. I, I don't try to understand libraries. You know, one time, Joanne and I were at an art show in Franklin, Tennessee. So we were local there, but we were at an art show. And uh, it was at the library. So there was a big area where they had the art. And I'm wandering around. And of course, I wandered over into the book section. This was on a Sunday afternoon. And looked, and there were no copies of 48 Days to the Work You Love. So I went up to the librarian, and I asked, I said, it seems strange that right here in my hometown, there's no copies of 48 Days to the Work You Love available. And she looked it up, and she said, yeah, every copy we have is out. We have four copies, they're out, and we have 18 people on a wait list. And I said, well, that's hard to See, see, that's reasonable. I said, why don't I go out to my car? I'll get three copies and I'll bring them in. I'll just give them to you and you just put those in circulation. She says, well, we can't do that. I said, well, what do you mean? I'll just give them to you. Just put them in circulation. No, it has to go through their system. And she could not figure out a way for me to give her more copies of 48 Days to the Work You Love to put it in their system. Well, that's a librarian bureaucracy that stops a whole lot of good things from happening. So, but he, but here, if, if you're on a wait list to get 48 days to the work you love, buy the book. I mean, I, I mean, I'm going to get pennies through the royalty system, so it's not like it's going to change my financial future or anything, but invest in yourself. This is one of those examples where you will feel differently about the information. And then when you get a book like that, I mean, mark it up. Write questions in there that you want to ask me. You know, put in your own notes about what you're going to do, who you're going to talk to, how are you going to approach this. You know, make it a workbook that you're working. I mean, it's fifteen dollars and ninety nine cents on Amazon. You will feel different about investing, about integrating in the material. I mean, and I'm I'm saying that. I mean, I'm I'm a book lover. I buy lots of books. I don't get books from the library. I mean, I haven't taken a book out of the library. I don't, I mean, I can't remember, I can't remember that I ever have. There might've been a time when I was in, well, you know, there was a time when I was working on my doctoral program and in Oxford, England, the only way we could get access to the books there was out of the library. It was a very complicated process. They have six miles of library underground in Oxford, largest library in the world. So that's kind of fascinating. So I did there, but Typically, I don't do that. I don't get books out of a library. If I want to read it, I buy it. So I can tag it, mark it up, keep it, and refer to it again two years from now to pull out the things that were meaningful to me when I had my first reading of that. Anyway, that's certainly what I would recommend. Well, yes, it is ironic. They'll only lend out 48 days to the work you for 21 days. They expected to cut the time in half. Well, let's be aggressive. We do get those stories as well. 
All right, Michael from Canada says, isn't constant striving for money, for more money, prestige, responsibility, material goods, just a recipe for unhappiness? I'm a happily married 59-year-old male primary school teacher who will never make more money at my job. I'm at the top of the salary scale, and I have no interest in being a principal and, and have nothing left to prove at work. Is there something wrong with me? Wow, we could park there for a long time. And, and no, I'm going to be quick to say, I don't think there's anything wrong with you at all. Now, when I was, Joanne and I were first married, we were living just off campus at the Ohio State University, Columbus, Ohio, with a lot of other students. We had a poster in our house, and the poster said, the only evidence of life is growth. And I kind of thought about that a lot then, continued to think about it. I think that's true, but I'll be quick to admit that growth can occur in a lot of ways that are not reflected in having more money. But here's my question, Michael. I mean, if you're 59 years old, certainly I hope that you not striving for more, more money, prestige, responsibility, material goods, do not mean that you are the same person you were 20 years ago, 15 years ago, 10 years ago. I hope that you're a much different teacher at 59, that your experience keeps making you a richer resource for those kids that you're teaching, that in your marriage, you say you're happily married, that in your marriage, you're doing things now that you weren't doing 10 years ago, that you've discovered ways to please your wife more, to make your marriage richer and deeper to make it the kind of marriage that the people are asking you, Callie, can you help? Can you listen to me? Help me with some areas where I'm struggling. You know, that you're moving into becoming more of an elder, more of a source of wisdom, a sage. I mean, those are the kind of terms you want to attach to yourself at 59 years old. Those are things you can't get when you're 30 or 25 years old. So, you can move through life with a lot of growth that's not reflected in just having more. Now, part of the thing we're going to address when we talk about goals that are open house on November 14th is just this. How do you move forward in your life, even if you don't have the desire to have more, more money, more prestige, more responsibility, more material goods? That's fine. But it doesn't mean your life should be on hold. You don't want to live out your own version of Groundhog Day where every day is just the same as it was before. But I, I love your question. Gal, I do, we don't have time to really unpack it fully here, but I'm very comfortable with what you're saying. Continue being a great teacher. I mean, we don't want teachers to just grow out of being a teacher and go on to something else. No, continue being a teacher, but it, it, it still implies that you're much better at what you're doing than you were in previous years. You know, speaking of speaking of growing out of our jobs and retiring, you know, there's a lot of things that we're seeing in terms of retirement. We know that 75% of retirees die within two years of their retirement. When they retire from work, it's though they also retired from life. Boy, don't do that. If you're looking at Aging out of what you're doing, that's fine. Go into a new season of your life with a clear sense of what your purpose is, what gives you meaning every morning when you get up. I mean, don't just think that you're going to do nothing and enjoy it. Doing nothing tells your body, hey, I'm finished. I don't need you anymore. And uh, 
two years after retirement, 75% of retirees are gone. Here's another thing that's happened that kind of related to the um, education arena. And that is, I got a note on this this last week somebody sent me about the student loan debt that is sitting there in people who are over 50 years old. Now, we know the horrific stories about student loan debt out there. People haven't, you know, Dave Ramsey did a documentary on that recently. And there were people on there that had $300,000 in student loan debt, you know, where there's really little prospect of ever getting out of that based on their earning potential with the degrees that they've got. Now, according to the Federal Reserve Bank of New York, almost 23% of the student loan debt that's out there is held by people who are age 50 and older. There are two point, well, well, let me just give you a summary here. 8.9 million borrowers age 62 and older owe a total of $388 billion in student loan debt for an average of about $44,000 each. 8.9 million borrowers age 62 and older. Now, you know that's been sitting around for a while. At an average of $44,000 each. Now, that doesn't go away with bankruptcy. It doesn't go, I mean, it doesn't do anything. And it accumulates interest. Now, there's a lot of talk right now about forgiving student loan debt. We won't wade into those deep political waters right now. But um, it's just, it's a sad thought to think about people age 62 and over who have student loan debt. Don't let you or anyone you know, love, and care about end up in that situation. Well, Eli from Gainesville, Florida, uh, sends me notes now and then. He says, since you, Dan, are an inspiration for those of us following you, here's a few words of encouragement for many. People at work often compliment me because I'm working at age 80. Because I'm always learning and presenting to our, our sheltered children, your 48 low or no-cost business ideas. All right, cool. I've been the quality assurance and control coordinator for my employer since 2021. I have developed systems and procedures for this position thanks to my extensive experience with accounting and auditing. Now I'm applying for a much more lucrative accountant position with a global company where I would be a consultant. My message to your followers, let us bless those we can serve with our talents and skills till the end of our days. The older we get, the more experience we can share, thus blessing people's lives. With great admiration, Dan. Well, thanks, Eli. Thanks for your note. And I think, yeah, that is encouraging. You're aiding, you're applying for a new position that would increase your income, give you more responsibility. Wow. Absolutely love it. Well, Paul says, hey, Dan, I was asked this question a few months ago that sounds super easy to answer, but I could not answer it. It is, what would you do for a living right now if you had a billion dollars? I know it sounds so easy to answer, and most people would say something like, start my own business, which is an awesome idea, you know, but I have no idea what kind of business or what kind of thing I would want to do. I do have a steady job now in aerospace, but it's not fulfilling my life at all. I have no idea in what I would do. I was going to see if you had any advice where I could go from here so I can figure out something to that answer. Well, I, I think it's wise, Paul, to be looking at that. I think it is a little disconcerting 
to not have any ideas as to what that would be, especially since you're in a job now that you say is not fulfilling at all. So you're in a job that's not fulfilling. You ought to have some clear ideas about what would be fulfilling. And you ought to be able to look at yourself. There's plenty of clues along the way. It's not like you start with a clean slate. Look at what are the things that you do well. Not just that you have the ability to do well, but that you enjoy doing as well. What kind of environments do you enjoy? Do you like being around a lot of people? Do you like being front and center? Do you like working with ideas or figures rather than being around people at all? And there's all kinds of things that are helping you know about your personality. I recommend you know, our disc profile, any kind of profile that you want to take that gives you more information about yourself is a help in this process. And it is in knowing yourself well that this will become clear. The more you know about yourself, your skills and abilities, your personality tendencies, your values, dreams, and passions, then the clearer it should be what you would do if you had a billion dollars, implying that you didn't have to do anything to generate income anymore, what would you do? I mean, I know, I know what I'd do. I'd continue doing the very things I'm doing now anyway. I mean, I just, I love writing books. Got a brand new book out. Actually, you can go to an understandingheart.com. And you can see the new book I've been talking about for a long time. Yes, it's finally here. It's gorgeous. It's absolutely beautiful. But I've got ideas about another one that I want to do that'll be done similarly to that. The things I do and hanging out with other people, talking about business ideas. I mean, I love doing that, whether I'm generating money or whether I'm not. I just love doing that. So it's very clear to me what I would do if I had a billion dollars. But do a little bit of introspection, Paul, so that you feel more comfortable in that, answering that question. What would you do if you had a billion dollars? Well, great, golly, great thing to ponder on. Just to imagine yourself in that kind of situation, that ought to be a fun experience. And maybe it'll happen. Who knows? You get on track with what you would do if you had a billion dollars. You know, the funny thing is, get on track with what you would do if you had a billion dollars. It's probably the key to what you could do to generate a billion dollars. All right. Hey, you hear the music? Just a reminder, these are real-life questions. We thank you for those coming in. I feel it is an honor every week when I open that magic mailbag to see the questions you've submitted. If you go to 48days.com slash askdan, you can see there how to submit a question. You can leave an audio message if you want to, or just write it out quickly as most people do. Rick says, you're making me hate my job. Or more precisely, you, Michael Hyatt, Pat Flynn, and all the others whose podcasts I listen to and blogs I read, I'm a service engineer, and I spend two to eight hours a day in my car going from customer site to customer site. I listen to podcasts and audiobooks when I'm driving. I get excited about the possibilities and ideas I have when listening. And when I think about my job, I hate it more and more. I work about 70 hours a week, and when I finally get home, I'm feeling too exhausted to do much of anything. On the weekends, when I finally get rested up, it's almost time to go back to work, and that frustrates me more. Would I be better off not listening to the podcast and reading the blogs until I'm in a place where I'm not working so much? No, you would not be better off. You know, this is, I mean, it kind of goes back to the old adage, ignorance is bliss. You know, would you rather not know something? Would you rather not know there are options out there, there are possibilities? And if you really believe that, then certainly, you know, don't read, don't talk to anybody, 
you know, don't listen to podcasts, read blogs. But I don't think that's who you are, Rick. I mean, you you indicate you're listening to to me and Michael Hyde, Pat Flynn, others. Continue doing that. But if you're in your car that much, you ought to have an enormous amount of time to be making notes about recognizing what things really resonate with you. Where do you see yourself in three years from now? What would you do if you moved to a new, another company or if you did something on your own? I mean, what a great opportunity to be massaging those ideas and working those over where you're listening to podcasts while you're on company time, going from one position to another. What a gift. What a window of opportunity to be doing that. But no, you don't need to wait where you're not working so much. I mean, this is a this could be a chicken and the egg. You're working so much because you don't have great ideas about what you could do that would improve your situation. So it's going to just continue your situation. If you take advantage of this time, take some of the pointers from the blogs you're reading, podcasts you're listening to, create a plan of action for yourself. Wow. What if you could reduce your working time from 70 hours back down to 50? That's a big change. And what if you could triple your income in doing that because you came up with some better ideas for how to invest your time? I mean, think about those possibilities. My goodness. You know, I, I would never say, you know, I don't want to be exposed to content that would potentially change my life for the better because I don't know how to implement it or don't have time to implement it. So I'm just going to block it off. I'm going to plug my ears. Nah, 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 nah. Not listening, not listening. No, expose yourself to the very things you're talking about here. It should give you the ideas to change your life for the better, quicker rather than later. All right, Don says, greetings from Hawaii. I really appreciate your work. I've used some of your books and resources. Thanks very much. I'm a podiatrist and I have a solo practice. I've heard you mention that you've worked with other medical professionals and wonder if there's a different pattern to develop another streams of income for the medical professional. As it is now, when I don't work, no income is generated. The Lord has blessed our income. For that, I'm grateful. Additionally, I would like to develop a means of income separate or in addition to what is generated when I work in my practice. Any insight in what others in the medical field do? Although I have a lot of other areas of interest, using my professional area seems most logical in attempting this. Thank you so much for any insights that you might offer, Don. Well, Don, yes, I... I Love the fact that you have great professional academic training to be a podiatrist, but I don't think you're limited to that. Now, this is really common. A lot of people who have a, a DDS or an MD or a PhD or an MDiv or whatever behind their name feel stuck in doing just one thing that creates linear income, meaning they do the work once and get paid once. I like to look at ideas where I can do the work once and get paid a thousand times. Now, certainly, if you think about writing a book, as an example, the things that I do, I can do that. Write it once, and then it's out there, and I get paid over and over and over again. If I put together a seminar or a course, even even the podcast here, I mean, people listen to this at a lot of different times. They they don't have to show up on Friday at 10 o'clock when it's released. You know, you're probably listening to it at a different time right now. But there are a lot of examples like that. Now, there are a lot of people who are professionals who have figured this out, how to move from just linear income to having residual income. Roger Whitney, 
you know, close friend of mine in my mastermind. He's a financial advisor. So he has a traditional practice where he helps people with their finances and it creates a lot of linear income. But he also has a great podcast, Retirement Answer Man. And then he has an online community, Rock Retirement. He's got about a thousand people in there that are paying, um, God, they're paying, actually they're paying, I, I'm in there, I should know, but I think it's $800 a year. So you can do the math on that. If you get a thousand people paying $800 a year, that's a pretty nice chunk of change. Doesn't come from his one-on-one work as a financial guy. It comes from creating a community where those people can talk to each other. Now, when I look up any professional, I looked up just real quickly, just for kicks, pharmacist. Again, we would think, well, that's kind of mundane. You know, what are they going to do besides just push the pills across the counter? Well, there are, I look for podcast. There are tons of podcasts that are focused on pharmacists, the conscious pharmacist, the retail pharmacist, the big mouth pharmacist, pharmacist out of the box. And then I put in podiatry. There are lots of people who are podiatrists, podiatry legends podcast, podiatry today podcast, progressive podiatry podcast, the podiatry business podcast, Pod chat live, live podiatry discussion, podiatry marketing, podiatry legends podcast. There's one called Potty Purple Pod Zone with a female podcast who uses a lot of humor. Now, that's just one thing, but you can, you know, you might write a little ebook on how to take care of your feet or 10 signs that you need to, you know, work with a podiatrist. They become a referral source where you get referral fees from having somebody click through to that than to go to an actual podiatrist. I mean, there's so many things you could do. You could do a um, Saturday morning workshop. You know, you could come up with a little a seminar or a course that people go through. There's plenty of ways you can leverage what it is you're doing. You're certainly not struck stuck. A lot of a lot of the work that I've done has been with professionals. You know, I've worked with a lot of doctors, a lot of attorneys, and a lot of dentists in showing them how to come up with other streams of income other than just what they're doing. I worked with a dentist one time, and he was really frustrated with dentistry being what it is and being the one income model that you're describing. And I said, what are some of the frustrations of dentists? He says, well, you know, it's always a pain to have to stop what you're doing, the clinical work, and you know, order new equipment for your office when something breaks. I said, what if you provided a service to other dentists where you did the research to find the best deals, the best equipment, the best prices, and all that, and they just paid a low monthly fee to have you as a resource to then recommend those? He said, my goodness. I said, could you get discounts from the vendors if you had a service like that where they didn't have to deal with every individual dentist, but rather you just brought them a block of buying dentists? They said, well, he said, sure, we'd get massive discounts. I said, why don't you go out and find a thousand people. I said, could you do that? Could you find a thousand people, dentist, just by connections that you have? He said, my gosh, I probably have that many in my Rolodex. I said, why don't you spend 90 days, set up a little buying co-op where you have a thousand dentists who are paying you $19 a month to get the service that you're describing. He did that and more. Well, that's a thousand dentists paying 19. Now that's 
You know, I mean, and and he interestingly, he was not in a position where he could start his own business. He had filed bankruptcy because he had tried some other ideas that were really poorly suited to him. And so he wasn't in a position to do that. This was a no capital intensive business that he launched. And all of a sudden he had $19,000 a month coming in from that. And it allowed him then to build on that and to grow away from having to be a clinical dentist, which he despised. Anyway, I could go on and on. But yes, indeed, absolutely. Uh, Don, you can find things that will leverage your expertise as a dentist, but not tie you down to just doing one thing, you know, examining people's feet as your only source of income. Mary says, hey, one more here, and we're going to wrap it up. Mary says, first off, I love your podcast. So inspirational. I'm a 28-year-old single mom with one child. I currently work in accounting. I see myself being a CEO of a company one day or owning my own company. The one downfall I have is I filed bankruptcy, you know, at my very young age. I feel in certain areas that's going to affect me. I come from an environment where everyone is comfortable being mediocre and struggling. I refuse to be in the place that I'm in now. Are there ways of becoming successful even after filing bankruptcy? Will future employers in the accounting field see this as a negative? Well, you've asked two questions there, Mary, and I appreciate your openness about this. Will future employers in the accounting field see this as a negative? Yes. So let's just let's just work with that. So there is that. If you want to get a job at a financial institution, a financial planning company, or a bank, yeah, they're going to look at that and they're going to be pretty um, pretty reserved. Now, you know, again, time heals all. You know, if you've got that seven years pass, and that'll kind of disappear. So it won't be as much of an issue. So I don't know how long ago it was. You're only 28 now. But uh, let's assume a couple of those years at least are moving along. So it'll disappear. It's not there forever. But the other part of your question, are there ways of becoming successful even after filing bankruptcy? Oh, my goodness. There's really not much obstacle to becoming successful except what's between your own two ears, the concerns you have, the feelings of having failed that you may have. Those are barriers, but the real world doesn't offer that. I mean, if somebody shows up, I mean, I got guys are going to show up here on Monday and start putting a new roof on my house. Now, it's very expensive. Boom. You know, we negotiated that. It's all in place. New tiles ordered. They're going to come and show up. Do you think I ask the guy who owns a company about his academic background? No. His credit background? No. Now, I've got a lot of testimonials about work they do. There's, there's that. But I didn't ask those kind of questions. You, you don't do that. If somebody shows up and they're going to mow my grass or plant new flowers, you know, the, the kind of things you're talking about have zero bearing on that at all. So it depends how you want to position yourself. You say you currently work in accounting, um, but you want to be a CEO of a company one day or have your own company. You know, you aren't implying that that's just going to be in financial services. You do anything outside of that. And the fact that you filed a bankruptcy really is not going to be a red flag. Now, I'm not just negating that, you know, something went dreadfully wrong for you to end up in that position. It's something you want to learn from and never repeat again. So I'm not just brushing it off as no big deal, but it is not going to be a barrier because nobody's going to know about it in 99% of the opportunities that are out there that you might take advantage of. Well, let's just wrap it up there. Now, let me remind you of a couple of resources here. Our resource for today is our open house coming up where we're going to talk about, okay, you got your goals set. 
Now what? How do you create those goals that are going to move you forward without feeling like you're just going through a checklist where somebody's forcing you to do things you don't really want to do anyway? That's not the way to have goals. Check it out. Go to 48days.com. Open house course. It's free. You know, just join us there. We're going to be having a conversation. I'm going to be joined by my daughter, Ashley, and we're going to talk through how to do that and be excited about rolling into the new year. Remember our quotation for today? It says, the eagle that soars at high altitude does not worry about how it'll cross the river. Sometimes we get obsessed with those little things because we're looking too low. Create a higher view and it'll take us right across that. Well, I hope you're having a great day, week, month, and year. Here we are in November already, November 2022. Wow, the time is flying by. We're going to be into 2023 We thought this was going to be a long year, and here it is almost over, 2023 coming very quickly. So thanks for listening. Keep sending in your questions. Do that, please. I love getting those. feel honored for getting those. Thanks for being open to growing, for being a powerful force, for making the world a better place. The best thing you can do as a favor to me, your cost for the podcast is to share it with a couple people. Share it with a couple friends. That's the, the payment I would love to get. People who are also committed to personal growth are people who need to see the opportunities that they're missing right now. And they'll thank you for it. You become known for positivity. Somebody who offers hope and encouragement to others, they'll elevate your credibility and value in their eyes. That's the kind of person you want to be. I know you are. Stay committed to your belief that we can, you can, I can, without a shadow of a doubt, find or create work that is meaningful, purposeful, and profitable.